so uh, we're here with an exceptional panel of people to do some uh, really interesting stuff, and so well done for coming here. It's a good thing to do. Um, but uh, first of all, I just want to ask, um, I don't know if you know this guy, does anyone know this guy? A guy, a guy called Logan. A uh, very eloquent 13-year-old, did a TED talk, TEDx talk, I think with the University of Nevada, uh, around, I think it was called, uh, Hack Schooling Makes Me Happy. Um, and in that talk, he discussed the fact that through uh, his desires, his passions, the things he was interested in, um, he sought out things that uh, could help him get close to those people, get close to those situations, and actually taught himself by being around it. He, was being, he basically pulled himself out of school, his parents pulled himself out of, um, at him out of school, and he was home educated. But he did this by traveling and moving around and talking to people, and as he says, utilizing like, the community around him to actually uh, uh, to kind of help teach himself. Now, obviously, he's very self-motivated. Um, he obviously has very supporting and uh, intelligent and progressive parents. He's probably in quite a wealthy situation. Uh, you know, I know this is something that's uh, going to be part of the discussion later. But what he represents, uh, the, I mean, you should go and look, uh, watch the talk anyway. He's talking about something slightly different. He's talking about happiness. But I think what he represents is an amazing, uh, it's got a, an example of the amazing opportunities that are out there right now for people to drive their own learning and to teach themselves. I mean, throughout this whole <coughs> conference, it feels like there's been a, a thread around the opportunities that are out there to educate and to teach and to learn. I know it was discussed around uh, uh, try, trying to push kids back to asking questions around why rather than uh, kind of being forced uh, facts and knowledge into their heads, which kind of leads us to the other side of the picture. Um, uh, it's been mentioned and discussed and hopefully will be debated partly here around uh, formal education and uh, formal education squeezing and pushing and reducing the opportunities for creativity. Ken Robinson is a, a great advocate for this discussion ever since his uh, TED talk as well around uh, his school killing, his education killing creativity, um, but continues to discuss this. And there was a report that came out, the uh, Warwick Report, uh, which I didn't write a name down of. There's a report from the University of Warwick around um, uh, education and the schooling system and the reduction potentially of creativity within that. So. Uh, uh, single siloed subjects, uh, reduction in actually engagement with the arts, uh, and, uh, redu reduction with culture. Um, and they're both interesting views, like outside of this discussion, uh, Ken Robinson's more around creativity and being creative, and, and this report discussed quite a lot around culture. Um, so with this as our backdrop, uh, we are going to try and discuss, we're not definitely going to, we're not going to try and discuss, the discussion <laughs> bit should be fine, try and discuss really <laughs> interestingly and uh, very deeply and informatively uh, these issues, but with, in context of, you know, you guys and uh, uh, us all being media creators and broadcasters, uh, and how does that fit into, how do we fit into uh, this whole structure? And so to do that, we have an exceptional panel of both beautiful and very interesting people. Uh, Dan, uh, such at the end. Um, so uh, his whole life has basically been based around, that's a lot of base there, uh, basically been based around uh, this panel, the build-up to this panel, as far as I can tell. Uh, a master's in edu education, technology, and society. Uh, he then went over to Future Lab and worked his, ascended his way through the ranks of uh, becoming more and more important researcher and clever researcher within that group. Took that thinking, uh, he ended up as head of development and took that thinking and moved over to nominate uh, to, to support the use of digital tech for social good. Um, and uh, it kind of uh, feels like carrying on from uh, from that uh, that uh, angle has recently 
come, uh, jumps away, and but supported still by Nominet to uh, be the director of CAST, a new organisation which has an am amazing name. It's Centre for the Acceleration of Social Technology. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I asked all the guys what they were most proud of that they what they created as a kid that they were most proud of. Um, uh, Dan's was creating his own political party, <laughs> age seven, um, to campaign for an indoor swimming pool, which, as far as I can tell, unfortunately still isn't still there. Isn't the still in there. Um, but then to balance that out, he spent a lot of time coding uh, uh, messages on his dad's computer, telling them that it will explode when he turns it on. So. Uh, but, and then Jane, uh, Jane is director of, uh, sorry, Jane Fletcher, I should be polite, um, we are on first name terms, but uh, uh, Jane Fletcher, uh, director of education into films, um, which is a, um, an educational charity, uh, obviously around films, uh, the making, watching and understanding of films. Uh, and uh, there's be does beautiful projects such as the Make Film Greatest Generation, which uh, takes to, um, both older generations, younger generations, multi-generational um, uh, people together to, uh, with archives of footage and allows them to tell stories or younger people to, to ask and tell stories and make stories together. So uh, very beautiful stuff around that. Uh, when you were young, it was a magnificent treehouse. It was. I think it was. was the, um, it was fabulous. So, and uh, Kat caps the beating hearts of uh, Take Kids community. Um, so she manages, commissions, and produces content for that platform. Uh, and Take Kids is all about playing, sharing, and learning through art. Um, and uh, Kate was a constant doodler. Um, but uh, uh, her, her, her most proud moment is this, and I, I can prove to you, uh, this very epic um, uh, Tracy Island as one of the Blue Peter things because she actually sent me a picture and I couldn't help but bring it up. There she is there. Amazing. Her and her brother. That's awesome. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah. You did say I could show that. Yeah. I apologise. Yeah, 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 good. Um, and uh, uh, so John Howard, uh, uh, last but definitely not least as well. Uh, John Howard, uh, so he's been continually pushing forward innovation within the BBC, BBC Kids space. Um, most recently over the last year has been the executive product manager for digital creativity within the BBC. Um, and so, and that project's all around like kind of creating tools and supporting and making a big. Uh, I know we we're talking about last year, a big like BBC-shaped kind of spotlight on all of the the groundswell and grassroots stuff that's coming out of there. Um, and, uh, uh, and and I had a good line from you, John, so I'm going to quote it directly. Uh, he bringing science fiction into becoming science fact is one of his missions in life, which I quite liked. Um, and uh, all of that really started uh, as he uh, made his name scroll across the Commodore VIC-20 screen as a young boy. Um, great, Dan, you up. would you like this? Yeah, that's pass it over. Thank Brilliant. So, so thanks, Dan. So we started with Dan's um, image of, of Logan as a 13-year-old. This is um, Shabab Banerjee, who's 12 years old. Beating your radar. Yeah. But in his hand, he's holding something called Brago. Has anyone come across Brago before? Fantastic. So Brago started when, when this guy was given a leaflet for a local charity trying to, trying to raise funds, uh, at least $2,000, to buy a Braille printer. And instead of kind of just helping with that mission, he went off and he found in his box of tricks at home his Lego Mindstorms kit. And over time, he built a Lego-based Braille printer, which to reproduce costs $300. So even though all the corporate organizations, all the big kind of big tech companies who make these can put them out the door for $2,000, he found one and made one at home for $300. 
The reason I started with this as a story of something that inspires me is this for me is the purpose of helping young people be creative. Because if we can help them become more creative and use some of these most powerful tools, they can address really big social problems that quite easily get missed by big corporates or, or, or by, by companies that exist at the moment. So what, why is creativity important in school and out of school? We, we know about the personal endeavour and how, how enjoyable it can be. We know the economic value that it can create as well, the creative in industries specifically but elsewhere as well. But for me, the most important part of inspiring young people to become creative and to help understand how they can unlock and use digital tools is to help them address some of the biggest, most persistent challenges that aren't going away from our communities and our environment. It's not something I was involved in personally. But CAST is set up to try and support more and better uses of tech for social good. And this is just one of the examples that if you look at it and you hear the story behind it, it becomes quite inspiring. Just with a box of Lego and that creativity and the, 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 the passion to address a big social issue comes up with a solution like this. And if we can think about how we can support in-school and out-of-school creativity today, if we can then use and harness the power of technology, then maybe we can address some of these really big issues. The Social Tech Guide, socialtech.org.uk, has over a thousand examples of the most inspiring uses of tech for social good. It would be amazing if after this conference we can inspire and find even more of them. Thank you. Nice done on time. I really like I threw you into it as well with, with uh, zero context. I, um, oh, I kind of said that we had two minutes. What I didn't explain is we've asked them all to pick a project or a uh, creator um, uh, from within the projects that they're close to, the, uh, or the, the channels that they run. Uh, rather than kind of talking specifically about a project, they're talking about people and, and projects. So, but you still flow beautifully. <laughs> uh, thank you. So, Jane. Great. So, yes, hello. Um, I'm from Interfilm, and we're all about inspiring and supporting children and young people to make, watch, and understand film in classrooms, in film clubs, and in any way they want to. I've chosen a couple of creative projects to talk about. The first one is all about the Gruffalo, and I, if any of you have got children, know any children, or live on the planet, you probably know all about the Gruffalo. It's wonderful. Um, We've been working on a project which involves working with Magic Light Pictures and a digital agency, Made in Me, and the idea is an app for children where they can add narrative, sound effects and music to curated clips from the Gruffalo animation. And just to skip on to it, this is also to help them with their storytelling and this is for young children, sort of five and six-year-olds. So the app is uh, in development, but it's looking like this, and you'll see adding of sound effects. Have we So imagine being able to add your own creativity to your favourite film. That's what we're after with the children and young people that we're working with. Um, we mentioned Grace's Generation. This is another project we're working on, which is um, where young people make their own films, their own films using archive and interviews with grannies and great-granddads um, to create uh, their own films from their schools. I'm going to show you a clip from a particular school, East Witchell Primary School, and this is just a short clip. Was the 
food was much more filling than now. They weren't lots of sugary things, lots of potatoes, lots of bread, lots of vegetables. Um, you didn't have big supermarkets, there weren't Tesco's and Sainsbury's and Morrison's and all that. They were small shops, so there would be a butcher and a greengrocer and a baker. Did you have knives and forks? Yes, and spoons. <laughs> and we were expected to eat at the table, no sitting in front of the television. <laughs> So I chose those because uh, we also encourage young people to make their own films from scratch and send them in. But those are two examples of where my organisation has provided some technology to help this happen and also to uh, give some confidence, particularly to teachers and other adults that are working with children. So they've got a platform um, to share their work. So we want all children and young people to be able to create through film. And uh, we're trying in loads of different ways to make this happen. Thank Great. you. Thank you very much. Just move straight on. Perfect. Cool, I'm Kat from Take Kids. Um, forward. <laughs> there you go. And these are some of the submissions that I get every day um, through Take Kids. And ultimately, Take Kids is a platform that's been around since 2008. Um, and I kind of wanted to say that it is a place where participation happens, creativity happens online. It's got a big community aspect as well as games. Um, and we were tasked with one person, but ultimately I couldn't really pick one. I get thousands of kids going on the website, so I cheated. <laughs> and I basically went through the themes of the, um, well, the title of the presentation through some of the entries that I get each day. And so ultimately, play is a big part of Take Kids, and we get hundreds of artworks a day. This is an international kind of um, participation tool, so we get about 50% of our audience is not from the UK. And we also aren't just on the website anymore, we're also on the app, which is the Take Kids Draw and Play app. Um, and this is kind of endless play, which is in these games, which ultimately inspires them to make further. Next one. And this is the making process. We have a things called Take Creates on there, which are um, kind of downloadable or play online art activities. And they kind of incorporate um, events that happen in the digital studio at Tate, um, which is kind of the kind of the cyanotype that you can see up there, as well as going in with our collection and our exhibition. So the big orange ball is kind of performance artists, which made a series of activities that we can make online. And then they also come bound to scissors and glue, but maybe digital scissors and glue, um, like our reimagining Turner's landscapes as well. And they get submitted as well as in the gallery too. And then a big part of Take Kids is the sharing aspect and the community aspect. And that comes through th through parents and grown-ups, <laughs> other grown-ups, um, on Twitter, um, through the pictures of like kind of Peppa Pig looking at Matisse, um, all the way through to teachers making my galleries on Take Kids and kind of setting their group a theme, like the Beatles is from a school in Liverpool, um, that update uploaded as well to Take Kids. And ultimately, it's about them sharing inspiration from art and artists. That's me. Great. Nicely done. So I'm, I'm not even going for that. Um. Yeah. So, um, so, so John's taken on a. Uh, do you want to go and get yourself over there, and I'll explain. John's taken on a slightly uh, more complex task, which we'll get over there, um, which I'm, I'm sure he'll explain. You're going to. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. give you an extra 15 seconds to explain what you're doing before okay. you actually do it. Um, just, just because uh, we, we've done uh, Game Maker. This is inspiring creativity. We created a game maker. We wanted to, to be uh, able to kids to be able to make things at the speed of thought. So I thought I'd recreate a game that we had submitted, and I'll give myself two minutes to do it, just to show that 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 tools are so powerful now that uh, they allow you to be creative with exactly that. Uh, you can think and do it at the same time. So let's go. It's Here we are. Can, we have it. Whether you can talk, think, and do it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's oh, a, this is a, let's, let's give it a go. It's a, it's, a, it's a risk. I'm going. I'm timing myself already. I haven't even started. Look, I'm <laughs> 10 seconds in and nothing. So I want to I add a player to the screen. So let's go there. Let's put a robot 
and, and typically in the game uh, you want to go and collect something so here we go I can play that and run across and, and I've done a quarter of my time already <laughs> but, uh, but you know that, that's not a great game is it um, yeah you want to collect lots of these so let's, let's say th add three of those on there um, uh, and also um, I'll recreate it by adding in they put some barriers in the way, so you have to get past the barriers. But you know th these these barriers are a bit a uh, bit basic, but uh, but let's roll with it. Uh, now the crazy bit that we've discovered is the uh, emergent behaviours of the kids. They're creating brand new games. Um, what I'm going to show you now isn't brand new. You know if we put a, a baddie on there, make this baddie a bit smaller, tell it to run around a little bit, and uh, you know he's he's there, but got one buddy who runs around he's going to try and stop you but no let's have lots of those guys um, and then the the crazy new things because you've got a tool that you can do at the speed of thought is uh, how about having multiple players as well how about having I don't know how many do we want more more uh, 125 and people somebody's trying to text me at the same time so, uh, so you here we go to the text you get extra well, that one and a half minutes and this game is done I'm going to play it now with with, with 30 seconds to spare yeah, and yeah. and and uh, so there we go. I've got these guys. They run around, <laughs> and I've got to try and get over there without. And if I no, they they they're killing me without getting those. No, you can do it. Get through. Yes, one left, and he did it. So there we go. But the point being, this that you know we could have made a million different games, but uh, and kids have done already. We've had hundreds of thousands of kids making games. Over ten thousand have been submitted to the CBBC to to, to be put into our featured arcades. Um, so yeah, uh, very exciting that, that kids are being so inspiring to us. <laughs> right, thank you very much, everyone. So, um, so yeah, I don't need to tell you guys about. We're, we're just going to grab questions later. So I think maybe let's just jump into some questions. Um, we started out discussing uh, around kind of changes in or, or making a claim that formal education is is, is squeezing creativity out, but it, 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 it felt like quite a claim. So I thought, why don't we start by actually um, questioning whether that's true? And I know Jane, you're involved quite uh, within the curriculum, within schools. So maybe you're a good person to start yes. this. Um, I suppose that for me, the answer is a, a bit of yes and a bit of no. Um, Lots of teachers are struggling, particularly in England, with the new national curriculum, the new English baccalaureates come in with no art subjects at the core. Um, so there's quite a pressure on teachers, particularly in England, to go down the kind of science, maths, etc. route. And creativity isn't really given, it's not spoken about particularly, it's not given great space. However, if you go to Scotland and you go onto the Education Scotland website, there's a big link, welcome to the creativity portal, and you can go to that and there's all sorts of tips and hints and ideas for teachers. So it's very different in the four nations, but just coming back to England, some of the changes actually have meant that those teachers that are confident can teach in any way they want so long as they deliver uh, so long as they can teach well and raise attainment so some of them are looking at creative ways of teaching and are very interested particularly in film because of course now uh, young people can bring in their devices they can make films everything's really quite straightforward so we're in a kind of strange place film is not mentioned in the curriculum in the english curriculum as a text um, so there's a sort of there's an interest, and for those that are confident and interested enough, it's possible. For those that are a little bit 
wary um, and don't quite know what they're doing. I think it's very difficult for teachers in the curriculum anyway. So that's okay, so kind of within the curriculum, I assume teachers, and uh, I, I, I would like to put this, um, this out there and make sure, I'm pretty sure you're going to echo me in this, this is definitely in no way uh, involves uh, teacher bashing because my mum was a teacher and she will then just come and bash me. <laughs> for that. Uh, I know the hard work and the effort and all that, but yeah, the curriculum itself is whether there's shifts and changes within that. Um, Dan, you got anything to add from your yes, perspective? Yeah, so the thing that in, in, intrigues me the most is, uh, as John just demonstrated, that there are kind of resources to do to find out almost anything. There are resources in the community where we can quickly access new new subjects, new areas of interest, new new people, new peers, new resources. And that kind of challenges what the point of the classroom is. Not to say it's not important, but the, the history of formalised education has been about, uh, based around scarcity of resources. So, it, so we, have scare, we only have a few books, so we have to find a way of sharing them with lots of people. But they're very important to us, so we have a, a, a nice, safe classroom to use them. Actually, at the moment, we're not in a place where there's much scarcity around access to resources. We can find some stuff immediately here. We had a great example of Logan, who's kind of building his own school, his own curriculum, wherever he went. But there is still something really special about being with an expert professional and 30 people who are all motivated to learn. But the challenge now, I think, is trying to work out precisely what that is. What's so unique? What's the scarcity in that situation that's not the same as outside? And then questioning, OK, so how do we, how do we foster creativity in that environment that's different from and special than, than uh, doing it in outside the classroom situations? Uh, do you know what that is yet? You no. worked out? And what no. so, <laughs> <laughs> Would anyone have a guess of, kind of uh, what's special about that physicality? If you all look blankly, I'll just move on. <laughs> right. so, so, the, the, so, so one of the answers is the, the flipped classroom model, yeah. which is you, you access resources and peers, and you do kind of your formal schoolwork, as we would know it, outside of the classroom. And then you come into a classroom where there are peers and experts, and you discuss, and you collaborate, and you find uh, kind of adventures together. And that's a really interesting model. But there are lots of other models, like the, the, um, kind of, uh, the one that Logan's kind of developed otherwise. I think that the, the real challenge we have is how we shift from lots of other ways of doing things. We know we can do creativity, we know we can do all sorts of kind of learning activities in lots of ways, but how that then shifts the way in which we work in the mainstream. And that's really difficult because that's about systems change and, and institutional change, which is pretty hard. Yeah, and I imagine things like uh, when you reference Logan, um, it, the reality is, and I, I, my kid's about to go to school, is, is we, we need schools at the very least as a form of kind of childcare. Yeah. Um, uh, because, you know, what, what, what do we do all that time if, if we are the facilitators as parents, if we're fa facilitators of their education? Um, uh, you know, Logan may be uh, just about old enough to look after himself, but I think my kid at five, would, I'd be a bit worried about him heading off into the world to <laughs> find his apprenticeship. So. There's a worry about exposure to the, to the arts. So uh, the Warwick report that came out in February um, uh, showed that uh, over the last few years, um, art uh, teachers themselves are, are down by about 11%, uh, drama teachers by 8%. So, if uh, and, and this particularly affecting uh, people with uh, low uh, low income families. Um, so basically, these kids aren't being exposed to, to arts in the same way that the the upper incomes are, or, or those schools that that kind of point in that direction. Uh, and for our industries, that's that, that's dangerous. Um, and it's art in the purest sense as well, like art, music, theatre, not adding it into, it's really important to have an art-science relationship, but really seeing it as its own right is a great subject to, I'm saying that from tape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the cultural skills that are needed for that innovation, creative thinking come purely from the arts as well. Yeah, so, so, you're, so we're saying two things here in terms of, uh, like it's obviously important to focus on 
um, specific cultural activity, mm. but then at the same time, uh, siloed kind of thinking. I know Ken Robinson's a big uh, 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 advocate for this, that the problem is if we silo mm. all of our subjects, we end up in a situation where cr- the, the actual creativity that comes from clashes and mixing and juxtaposition of, of um, uh, thought processes and jump between stuff, that's where the creativity comes from. And then how do we teach yeah. that? D- d- there was a suggestion by our, our uh, education secretary here, yeah, Nicky Morgan, that um, uh, Subjects should be have have the uh, the monetary value associated with them about how much you could earn by taking the subjects. So obviously, the arts <laughs> would would <laughs> massively suffer there. Which, uh, well, a horrendous suggestion. I know it's only a suggestion at this point, yeah. but why are you, why are you thinking that? Yeah. Yeah. How do you work it out? Is it an average mean? Because I did like <laughs> physics and art. So does that like you just end up in the middle somewhere? There's a question. Why don't we bring people in? Well, I, I just wanted to um, that you mentioned Nicky Morgan is, is what I wanted to point out really is that. Loads about good pedagogy, good, te- good ways of teaching, how to inspire children. There's a massive history of, uh, of educational research. What's difficult for teachers is enacting that and, and enacting, enacting on things that are, that are part of their intuition, their understanding, their developed experiences of working with children. So, and within a system that is so entirely dictated to by measuring our children's value in numbers. Um, I think it's Alec Clegg who was an educationist in West Riding for 40 years and was very promoted um, arts education um, talked about you know we are beginning to only value what we can measure um, and I don't think we, you know so it's it, I guess I'm um, going a long way around this saying we need to, to put all of our arguments about creative teaching and learning um, to government in terms that they can understand that that is not compatible it isn't compatible with the traditional system you described based on low resources, you know, very, very different times. It's not compatible. And we have to lobby government. It isn't it isn't enough to just change teachers and put more pressure on them to do so there's get serious about so Nicky Morgan is talking on the sixteenth of July about creativity and culture. Okay. So there's two things I like. Stand, you're, you're bursting to I answer am. this one, aren't you? So <laughs> I, well, I am going to come to you. But um, uh, uh, I think something that everyone's going to agree with is, is if we want to, from this, if we're inspired about stuff and we want to make a change, then uh, we have to uh, get off our asses and join in. So I think that point's good. But do you want to respond to uh, uh, specifically to that? I, I think there are two parts. The first is the lobbying. Absolutely. There, there has to be a stronger explanation of why kind of current kind of reductionist approaches don't work. But actually, that, that's really hard because that's really wedded to the ideology of this uh, of the current government. So there's no, so there's that, but that has to continue. There's another part, which is what are the small incremental steps that can begin to demonstrate that a more creative approach is useful, and possibly that's things like digital badges, which is beginning to say this is another way in which we can value something, and it's not the only way by any means, but it's a way of saying, do you know what? If all of the employers here said we would look at someone who got a digital badge from I know, playing Sean's Game Academy. We would expect that demonstrates some level of creativity and maybe some level of maths or, or literacy or whatever, and begin to kind of raise the, um, the, uh, the currency of something like digital badges, then it presents an alternative. And it says, look, we're not just saying A-levels and GCSEs are wrong and the baccalaureate is wrong. What we're saying is they're fine for some things, but look, we've got these other measures which are industry-led, industry-endorsed, and demanded by young people. And that's a, kind of a more practical approach as well. And, uh, on, so, sort of on the same theme, 
um, we're very interested in sort of stealthily working in classrooms in a way and even using film t for teachers so that they can evidence progress so actually thinking about the, uh, telling getting the, the young people that tell the story of their learning so we're taking kind of small steps at that sort of level right the way through to kind of project-based work in classrooms that demonstrates once again that deeper learning so we're sort of going and right the way through to advocacy so we're trying to get um, film recognized and as many young people as possible asking to use uh, video and film and teachers able to use video and film so sort of exactly as you say it's like going along with the ideology but sort of fighting the ideology at the same time as taking the little steps to use it to your to the advantage of uh, the arts and in my case particularly film so, uh, uh, so interesting views of uh, how it's happening in classroom, um, uh, but then also kind of I guess that the good thing about badges and stuff like that is it feels like uh, things break out of of classrooms. We've we've already been discussing about how blurry the edges of of learning are, and I know it's a, a point that's been brought up a few times about where learning starts and ends. You know, we, there, there there is no um, specific place, but I don't know, John. Do you want to talk a bit about how kids are learning outside of? of uh, away from schools and formal education. So indeed we've been looking at uh, connected learning and this this is um, kids just taking it up on themselves outside of school. Uh, in fact there's a negativity around uh, around uh, associating it with any kind of formal. It's, it's massively informal driven by their desire to be um, to, to make music, to make motion graphics, to make games, to, to learn how to program, to make an app. Um, but gathering together in, in, in groups um, taken their passions and, and, and relationships and, and achi achievements and, and uh, typically these, these are things that they see as career related as well. So um, kind of defining factors are around uh, low barriers to entry, um, strong support around uh, affinity groups really uh, and peer and mentoring. Um, so, so yeah. Voluntary participation is key. You know, the, the kids desperately want to want to do this connected learning, um, but the the skills that they're developing from it, which which are, they're doing so at a more accelerated rate than than uh, than they would do in the classroom, um, uh, play, performance, simulation, multitasking, distributed cognition, uh, collective intelligence, judgment, networking, uh, negotiation. All, all of these are skills that they're picking up, which are massively useful in their in, in their lives, um, by engaging in these activities. And this is uh, th th it's really exciting that, that this is happening, and it's mainly down to um, access to tools, uh, digital tools, and and um, an abstraction of complexity, really. But when you say as well community, it feels like everything yes. we're talking about is uh, like connected. It's about that connection community. I mean, do you um, uh, with your Tate's community? Do they mm. communicate with each other as well, or is it? Is it one way? I think that they have, um, when you kind of sign up to Take Kids, you kind of are much more about curating, curating the Take Collection, uploading your own content, and then also kind of liking, favoriting, commenting on other people's content. And that kind of shared experience of just putting your stuff out there and then seeing what other people react to it is really exciting to see. And I think that's where I've done some research in autumn, which was really about seeing that international uh, community as well and how kids are really excited being like, is that really from Brazil? And I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they get super excited about that. And I think that's a part of the connected learning, seeing that it's international. And um, it also, the connected learning thing, going down to the fact that this Artwork is artwork, and the things on community are playful and open and diverse, and that's all really important to kind of having the shared experience online. 
Of course, when we were talking about creativity, we're talking about culture. Yeah. Um, the idea that culture is limited to uh, uh, because you are in England, your cultural influences should be only from English is, is crazy, isn't it? So um, yeah, it's interesting that the, these opportunities become worldwide. <coughs> so, so, so the research that kind of underpins what's been said there, one of the things that's often missed, and I think is, is awful if we don't celebrate it, is underpinning lots of collected learning is media consumption. And that's the stuff that inspires people mm -hmm. to then to go on and remake and take things apart and, and make themselves and become more creative. And actually, particularly this, kind of this audience, I guess, we should be absolutely celebrating and recognising that there's a really important role here in inspiring young people to become creative, just actually through consumption to start with. And whether it's consuming the, the Tate collection and then going off and making your own, whether it's uh, falling in love with an amazing cartoon and then going off and making something, it's a really important part that often gets missed in the discussion around creative and digital making mm -hmm. particularly. Yeah, so no. it's been a, sorry. Yeah. So it's the facilitating of that. Basically, yeah. the start point needs to come yeah. from media makers and producers. Yeah. So I, I remember um, when um, when I was here for the first time. Um, I think I was known as Mustache Man then because <laughs> I had a mustache. Uh, when I was here the first time, it was about six, seven years ago. Um, the mantra of one nine ninety uh, around communities, which was a, the one percent uh, create. The nine percent uh, take an active part of the community by uh, commenting and liking and discussing, and the ninety percent are just consumers. Now I've heard that shifted, but has anyone, does anyone, can anyone tell me how it shifted or or what's changed? Well, I guess it's it's the tools, um, and it's it's upon us as as media organisations to to take our IP and and, and share it, um, but also. With the tools and, and the things that are made, then allowing remixing, so you, so you can quickly step in and see how it all works. As you say, pull it to pieces, have a play with it. Um, and we, we, we're looking within our models to try and inspire kids to play other kids' games. And and if we can get five percent of people to suddenly become creators as well, then then trying to shift that one into 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 a, a five okay. is, is is our ambition. So next year, can we come back and present the next? Uh, yeah. Five, five, fifty-fifty, <laughs> or whatever we've ended up at. We, we, we'll try our best. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so we talked about uh, consumption, consumers, people consuming stuff. Um, uh, but uh, an interesting point. I, uh, I probably, I'll probably start with you, Kat, uh, just because um, uh, I was saying uh, art itself has this constant discussion around when is art art and is it truly art. Um, uh, but uh, obviously, by creating all these tools and uh, opening up this opportunity for creativity. Is, are we just making tools to make mediocre crap to the masses? <laughs> so do we end up with kittens and uh, gifts um, that, that are of unquality because we have so many creators? Or, and, and so therefore, is that a positive thing or a negative thing? I really love kittens. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and I really so love gifts too. Yeah. Um, and Tate did a really great project for slightly older group than Tate Kids, uh, which was the 1840 gift party. And that was ultimately putting out some of the artworks from the 1840 gallery and just letting people remake and gift that. And that was huge. We got thousands and thousands of submissions, and then it went back into the gallery. So, really taking on that kind of cultural trend of a gift and then kind of put, putting it through the lens of something that could be kind of seen as a bit boring by young people, kind of portrait of people from like early 19th century but actually really had that weight behind it um, and I guess in relation to quality as well I'm all about the participation and kind of having a dialogue with these people so ultimately when you're getting kind of squiggles through 
my kind of little bit of moderation, because I pre-moderate all my content, is the fact that if a kid's tried or if a kid's named it something or they've spent time on something, you let it through, because it's ultimately showcasing their work on a platform that they've obviously involved in. Um, and so I think that's where the quality lies. Um, and, and, is, and is it yeah. art? Is it art? Oh, God. Um, that's a very large question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it is. Digital art is kind of this massive, booming um, thing that is occurring. And actually, I'm not even sure if it should be called digital art anymore. It should just be art in its own right. Um, and I think I'm trying to think about different ways of digital art making. Um, and that also includes like sound art as well. Um, and yeah, I think it is. The stuff that comes through on the games is kind of creative in its own right. So it is yeah. art. Let's put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Nice. Quoted. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> you look. Um, I was thinking uh, our, the project we were running, which Greatest Generation, where young people had to look at black and white archive film, which is a kind of a horrifying prospect for some young people. But actually, when they were doing it, they were really excited. They, they found it hilarious. They found it quite sad. All sorts of things, and that did inspire them for, to make their to interview their grannies and granddads and everybody else. And they put the films together. Some were, you, you saw the, the, the one was asking, you know, did you have the knives and forks? And the camera's all wobbly. Um, but actually, that's great. That, you know, you're hearing it, that's the question, you know, that young person, that's their question. That's what they want to find out about. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we find it funny, but for them, that was what they wanted to know about. And I think in the showcasing, it's really interesting for the young people to look at the, the different, the, the quality of the filmmaking. And uh, it, a compilation has been put together uh, by the BBC, and they've and they've turned it into a kind of how to improve your filmmaking, and that's what we're all about. So it's about looking at wh where's your starting point and where are you going. So it's a bit about process, and critical and thinking as well that comes through. And that. looking back and reflecting, and yeah. I think for me that's where you begin to get the quality. And if you set the bar, we're only going to accept quality films, for example, and those are made by um, eight, nine, ten-year-olds. Um, you're not really going to get anywhere, and you're just you're slamming a door shut. Yeah. So, for, from uh, my perspective, it's all about opening the door wide, getting in whatever comes in, and then seeing where you can go from there. Anything else to add? Doesn't every sector has this question? There's kind of there's a persistent change that takes place across generations, across sectors, which is when when tools become more widely accessible, or or, or when there's a new way of using media. I don't know. 20 years ago, people were wringing their hands because people were standing up and jumping around to music rather than, sorry, 40 years ago maybe, <laughs> rather than sitting down smartly in ties. And then now we're then we're digital and we've got a concern that people aren't playing instruments, etc. And now we're looking again at there's a shift where there are more tools available to more people. It's, it's, a, it's a regular change. It happens everywhere. And it's yeah. nothing to be fearful of. We know that uh, there will still be experts who are doing amazing things. But if allowing people to use these tools helps them towards the journey to becoming those experts, that's just awesome. Yeah. So kind of something interesting in that which is, uh, uh, and we were discussing this before, I, th I think it has an easy answer, but I hope it, it will um, uh, uh, come out, um, bring out some other conversations as well. But do you think the tools that we are providing, the opportunities that are out there, are they making kids more creative? That vague sentence. <laughs> So, no? Yes, yes. Yeah, I, th okay. I think kids are no, a, no a, a yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a no? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, what, we've, what we've seen, uh, we, we did a huge audience, uh, uh, piece of audience research last year. Uh, I suddenly found myself from uh, years ago being a developer and, and then sitting last year uh, on the other side of the one way mirror um, watching lots of kids have conversations and. Uh, there was, there, there was a general feeling, uh, and, and it was said out loud, so it was more than a feeling, uh, that 
if if I could make a game, if I could make uh, make music, if I could I, I could make an app, I'd love to do it. But doesn't it take months to do? Doesn't it take months to learn? And then it would take forever to make it. If I could do it in a couple of minutes, that'd be brilliant. So we we, <laughs> we, we took that as an inspiration. So th these kids do want to be creative. They 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 do have ideas. Yeah. but they don't really want to go through the trudge of trying to learn a huge amount of yeah. new things because it feels like a massive barrier. So you're en enabling their creativity with, with simplicity and, and, yeah. and speed. Bring that barrier to entry down. Yeah. I think it is. I think that's what we are doing. I think we are enabling, but I don't think they're any more creative than they once were. Mm -hmm. So I think that they're just as creative as kids were 50 years ago um, and they're still going to play with their Lego and they're going to make these awesome things but now we have this thing that you can stick on your Lego and then make a digital world of it and so we're just adding to that experience and probably I think that there still is elements of like access that are still an issue because like not like kind of thinking about the kid that has the computer in India and the kid that has the computer in London that is a different experience and their ability to create online is differently um, is different. Um, so, yeah, I don't think they're any more or less creative. They've just got different portals. Yeah, it, uh, I, I wanted to pick up, but I can come back and pick up on that. Have you got something? I think, it, I think it's how we can be creative, though. It may, maybe creativity used to be a little bit more constrained by what counts as being creative. Mm -hmm. But now you've got a 12-year-old kid who's making a Braille printer at home. It's ridiculous. In the same way, you can create an app that are, with the kind of apps for good uh, awards around the country, kids finding solutions to problems in their real community and able to actually make something that, that causes that difference. So it's not kind of more an abstract, are they more creative or not? Are they able to create things that solve problems more? Yeah. And more outlets for creativity more and more of them. Yeah, and more inputs, yeah. more information about what is wrong with the world, I guess. So you get both sides of that. But you, um, uh, you touched upon um, uh, a shifting uh, 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 split in the accessible and, therefore, um, uh, and then potentially the inaccessible opportunities that are there. And I know that it's a worry within the reports that are out uh, and generally kind of are being picked up across papers is, is as... Uh, formal education, which has a, um, a responsibility to go to every single kid in the whole of the UK and, and, and support them. If that does um, uh, start uh, which kind of um, reducing the weight and the, the strain that it's putting to kind of push creativity because it's like, oh, it's all right, it's being covered somewhere else, but the somewhere else involves having the right kind of social and, um, uh, what's the word? There's another word. Monetary, there's a better word Economic? than monetary. Economical, that's the, that's the fancy way of saying that. <laughs> Money-based money um, uh, kind of inputs. Then we have a growing divide, and a growing divide of, of people that have these opportunities and don't. Well, uh, the, the, the web kind of lessens that. I think so? Yeah, yeah I think that um, there, there is a, although not everyone has access to the web, but yeah. a, a massive majority do, and, and the web is full of free things that, that uh, allow you to engage in, in, in creativity. And, and th there's a distinct change in, in kids' um, behaviours. Um, all, all of a sudden, kids are very good at making decisions, and this is driven by their use of, of digital tools uh, and, and digital experiences. Um, uh, Stacey Mateus from Insight Research uh, published some uh, back, at, uh, back at Kids Screen, um, pushed out uh, for the very first time, um, and uh, every year Insight do a little ask kids a question, what are you most proud of? Um, always family or my school uh, for the very first time ever. It's my imagination and this is exactly driven by the idea you can, you can be creative, push it out there and, and straight away um, you'll have five thumbs up in, in the first hour and go, yes, I made good decisions there. 
or you don't don't have five thumbs up and you go okay how am I going to readjust my behavior and this this is the equivalent of us get, us at school getting a C minus and and saying well how, how do I get that that B next time um, but the feedback there is really slow but here it's really quick hyperspeed feedback and this is driven by those uh, those uh, creative tools all that decision making and uh, she turned these tools as weapons of mass construction. This goes from Minecraft through to, to everything else that allows the, that creative output. There's, there's something good to come back to if, if there isn't a, nothing else on that divide. Um, uh, let's, we'll grab you a microphone, but that means I can ask you, oh no, I've forgotten what I was going to say. No, we'll go straight to the question. <laughs> <laughs> You've confused me. I just wanted to what it was. add on the, the question of divide that there, there are issues of kind of access, access to creative tools around the UK. If you look at the, how the coding movement is growing, it's massively weighted to London and a little bit in Manchester and then sort of huge swathes of empty space on the map. And um, you know, if you add into that access to broadband speeds and, and equipment there, there are real issues about sort of how, <coughs> how you give children access to these creative tools. So, um, well, I think BBC and children's media can really help expand people's interest and access to that. It shouldn't be, uh, yeah, it shouldn't be uh, taken for granted. And I suppose, yes. well, there, there, there is a uh, there is a, a call to arms there that um, that's at least one of our responsibilities to do is to try and support um, this movement and in particular the places where people aren't getting access to that. Um, I was remembering what I was going to say. There. So this morning um, it was also repeated yesterday. One of the research groups with Platypus were discussing. I think the Platypus were discussing uh, social structures and kids in particular, like teenage kids, and how important. Um, those social um, structures were for them and their recognition of their self and their identity and I, I think that kind of feeds into part of this connected learning they're going to parts of, they're finding communities they're able to publish stuff quickly get feedback and recognition from their peers and that gives them confidence and belief in themselves but they also mentioned that that's also one of the worst um, uh, instigators when they're about 13 years old is the collapse of their confidence if they don't get the thumbs up if they don't get stuff so um, so is this uh, connected kind of um, uh, learning area, putting responsibility into communities. Is there uh, what are the risks? I guess with that as one of them, uh, uh, what are the risks, and is there more that we should be worrying about? Um, who shall I direct it out? Someone? Does anyone want to jump in one there? Thing. You're in. Um, I guess as well when you said 13, and then kind of the confidence go down. I think that originally it needs to have a. We need to be providing platforms that are safe, and safeguarding issues are a massive issue. And I just was kind of talking to you about it earlier as well, and thinking that yeah, they're on YouTube, and then they're on these on the 13 plus platforms. But for take kids, I'm t it's five to 13. I'm still very aware of making somewhere that is safe, mm -hmm. and for the adults, the parents that are kind of putting them on that area, or also their friends as well. So there's not that going to be that aspect of bullying. Um, and kind of trolling. I want it to be a celebratory showcase space, and um, rather than somewhere that feels negative. And we work with five to nineteen, so it's a massive range, of exactly the same thing. And we're we're just looking at moderation and creating safe spaces that young people trust, and they know they're not going to have that humiliating experience that knocks their creativity as it starts. But you can't you can't uh, remove all the risk. No, all the control. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. I'm slightly jumping sides now if I join. But um, uh, so I worked with the Tate on the Tate Movie Project, um, which was a community, and we found that as soon as we opened the lines of communication, you know, that gave the glue that you needed to construct a community. And I don't believe you can construct communities without communication. That's the whole point of it. Um, but what I found really interesting in that was that we set up the culture at the beginning, 
uh, quite quite successfully, I think, you know, and like little taps on the wrist for people that were starting to uh, mm -hmm. be a little rude. Lots and lots of encouragement for people who are doing good. And once that engine was going, it was okay. it, we almost didn't have to do anything because the people self-moderate themselves. Perfect. I was just about to say, we need some questions. So people, please think of questions and uh, put your hands up. So in the same way that um, someone was talking about we need to lobby uh, education, I think there is a a slightly scary agenda going on within the digital space that, um, particularly if you developed the stuff which needs to be in the US, you are bound by copper if you're doing the under 13s. And, under, and copper makes it really hard to do any user generated content without getting high level parental verification, which, if anyone's had to do it, is a pain. Um, and it's, it's been put in for good reason to protect children, but it does require some quite lengthy measures that most parents won't go through because it's just it's clumsy, it's clunky. The technology hasn't been, the energy hasn't been put in to make those technologies better. Next year we're going to have regulation from EU, could be even older. So I think if we think that digital is a place where children are going to get, need, where we can encourage them to be more creative, I think we have, to, as a, an industry, we need to start not just thinking about the tools that you can make stuff, but also the tools for them to be able to verify their age, get parental approval easier because it's going to uh, going to throttle us otherwise. Kids' credit cards, then basically. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. Uh, well, has anyone got anything to add to the debate right now? Anyone got any techniques that they imagine? Any problems that they currently see? There's there's always going to be contention between um, creative freedom. You know, we want we want to inspire kids to be creative, but uh, we, we want it to be safe. But, but then uh, we're we're looking at the te teens as well. You say you know if if copper uh, like legislation reaches into into those teens then then we truly will be the dancing dad in the corner won't we i just realized i just realized yeah, uh, so does everyone know what copper is so should we can uh, who would like to explain because i can't remember the, what the acronym stands for so i need to pass it on to someone else yeah uh, no, okay so but it's the, it's the legal legislation and structure in place in the us um uh, but therefore kind of has become in the the internet uh, law of um, engagement with uh, minors, so under 13s, and really is the reason why all social networks have their 13 uh, barrier on there, is, is wrapped into uh, that, that structure and that law. But I would also say about the fact that, like, really concerned about this as an issue for Take Kids, but um, it depends on, like, what are we asking for these kids when they sign up? Like, really, do we need, like, how much information do we need? I don't really matter, I don't really care how, what about all the data, I care about them making stuff. So actually the less barriers that we put up to be like when you add into a community, the better. Um, and I think this morning there was a really interesting thing that kind of the annoying things that kids don't like about the internet is when they say like, you need to write all these details on before you can sign up something. They're like, why? Like, this is so stupid. I'm going to go off and play somewhere else because it's adults who are obsessed with this data collection. And actually, do, do we really need it? The, 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 Question? <laughs> Yeah. Th there are complications within that. In that there are, you know, yeah, th things for sure. Like, things like IP address, where, mm -hmm. where, where they're not engaging with it, but um, yeah. data protection says you shouldn't be collecting it. But if, we're, if, we're tr if we need to be safe, you know, if, if, if a kid uh, on a message board says that they, uh, they're going to commit suicide or there's a bomb sure. threat, yep. that IP address gives you the trace back so you can escalate and, uh, and deal with that situation. Mm -hmm. so, so under, just under copper, just, it was changed last year. So that a child who posts anything which has their face in it, uh, so your mashups on Tate, mm -hmm. or your own photograph of Tracy Island, um, or their voice, uh, would all now be considered as high level, needing high level, level verifiable consent. Mm -hmm. Which in the US, up until about last year, meant you had to print something out, get it 
uh, sign it and then fax it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 2014, they were still telling the you to fax thing. things back. Nice. Fantastic. You always know you're at the bleeding edge of technology when a fax is involved. <laughs> uh, how are we doing on time? So, so, so what's looking for the schools in formal education in some ways always, have always tried to create relatively kind of sanitised environments. So if you think back to a maths lesson, in a maths lesson you say, imagine you're in a shop and you have 10% off or a half price, you know, 50% fraction or whatever. You don't actually take the children to a shop because you're doing it in a sanitised way where if they get it wrong, they don't get ripped off. And so there's a, kind of the, the parallel I'm trying to draw, I guess, is we have lots of digital environments which are very, very safe. They're, they're walled gardens. And we have the rest of the web which, and, and the dark net which are, are less safe perhaps. And perhaps there's a, a really important role there, which is the transition between the two. And this, is even more so if, if the EU legislation comes through next year, is what's, that kind of, what's our role in that, but also what, what's the formal education's role in the transition between the yeah. two? And because it's a bit like, uh, uh, you know, like suddenly n never drinking a drop and then suddenly turning 18 and being thrown <laughs> into a pub and mm -hmm. falling over the place and being sick, you know, it's about, about 13. So all the way up to 13, it's like, no, you're protected. And then over 13, it's like, be free, go to the dark web, <laughs> which yeah, doesn't, doesn't seem very safe. Maybe it's a part of like changing a part of the curriculum by educating parents as well. Um, sure. So the kids are kind of been around this kind of area for a little bit, but the parents themselves really don't know what a Raspberry Pi or a GIF is. And so having that conversation as well needs to be increased. Well, controversially, to say something good about Ofsted, um, English <laughs> schools in England, um, part of the Ofsted is, have you, um, look, um, does your school community understand online safety and how demonstrate how you are teaching online safety to your parents, your uh, children and also to the teachers. So... Um, Great, so and as long as we can teach that creatively, yeah. we've got yeah. everything covered. Uh, any other questions? Um, just sort of playing uh, devil's advocate um, and looking at investment in schools into creative uh, areas in the arts and things, um, how would you address people that say that internationally our students are still underperforming in science and maths compared to the kind of growing uh, emerging economies? Uh, and how would you make an argument that sort of still says that creativity is important when there's so much emphasis on uh, those other areas? I, I want to answer that one, but I'm not allowed, <laughs> don't I? So yeah. who's in? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I could just briefly say that in, increasingly, uh, teachers, young people are discovering that using creative learning, using creative ways of learning, are actually um, getting deeper learning. And therefore, in science lessons, for example, uh, using film, making film, actually telling your story, it may be about an experiment, but telling your story, your way, actually gets the learning much deeper. And therefore, um, you know, that, that there's a sort of, you know, gold star for teachers that are able to do this. And uh, the young people are, their attainment, they're raising their attainment. And so I think it's, it's quite a strong argument for um, creativity in the classroom. We're running out of time, so, but... Anything else to add? To I, th I think we'll struggle to, f to demonstrate that creativity improves existing grades, and I think that's often the way in which we try to do it. So it goes back to the first question, which is let's demonstrate <laughs> other ways of valuing learning. And that's not just, oh, look, we like kind of people who are hugging and are friendly. We show how new businesses are being formed, how new social challenges are being addressed, how kids are kind of about 14 are leaving school to create Borrego as a now an internationally kind of growing business. Yeah. But, uh, and kind of how future employment around kind of the creative industries and other things can be valued by, by work done in schools. Um, sorry, can I say one little thing yeah. as well? Um, just about, like, I think from the Warwick report as well, it says, like, 
like 72 billion was the size of the creative industry. Mm -hmm. And I would also think as well that we shouldn't just look at the economics of it. We should look at well-being and kind of the way in which you like help society. Um, so that as well, that your mental health is really important through creative tools and arts as well. Yeah, and mine's really simple. It's um, uh, uh, isn't a scientific, uh, isn't a scientist creative. Uh, they're massively creative. Yeah. Uh, creativity is, is not around uh, the arts, it's around the thought process that goes in, in solving problems. And so technologists, um, engineers, um, uh, scientists and mathematicians are all some of the most creative people we have uh, and therefore um, uh, I think but there is still uh, that argument around I know they're talking about STEM, uh, STEAM not yeah. STEM <laughs> so uh, adding arts into, uh, into that. Um, so we're very, very close to the end so let me just um, uh, try and end up with I, I, this, the whole conference is around change, uh, all change are things changing so maybe just uh, simply asking within this context of uh, the shifting in education and the way that things are, are changing and the way that kids are having opportunities to create, what do you think is going to be um, one of the major changes? Um, or, I'll give you another out, uh, what do you think has changed already because of this, this, this change of shift? Just tell us something about the future, basically. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've got my, so, so, so uh, well, my favourite phrase is, is um, the, the future isn't somewhere we arrive in two years' time, it's something we actively make. Mm -hmm. So if, if we want to address the government's perception of the role of creativity, if we want to demonstrate how being creative is a viable route to employment or creating a business, then we have to show it by the way in which you employ people and the way in which you talk about it and the way in which you love it. BYOD. Um, bring your own device. Um, schools are doing this at the moment, but I think that's the point that children young people have got a digital device that they want to use and currently sometimes that's being sort of blocked off um, and I think in the future it will be encouraged and that you'll, you'll take your device in school, you take your device out of school and you use it um, as you see fit for your own learning. Um, <laughs> I had several things, but um, I'll just say them really quickly. Um, so I think sustainable and innovative technology, just we need to push that more and actually make sure that we don't just have like a project that lasts two minutes and never hears again, hears about again. The other thing as well, thinking about risk taking and the increase of user generated technology for under 13s will probably get bigger. And we need to think about how we're going to deal with that as a group of people. So as, uh, as, as Moore's law is, is holding firm and we're we're travelling at light speed towards a, a, a robot overlords leading us to the glue factory. Um, there's a bit of time before that where we can engage and, uh, and I think uh, there, there are things that us, like broadcasters being a bit more willing to share our IP, let, let, uh, yeah. let kids use the things they're passionate about to be creative with. At the moment uh, there's you know, rights lawyers are all over, let's say, no we haven't signed contracts that allow you to do that kind of thing. Let's change that. Let's make sure that, that when, when you create an IP that you're, you're, you're fully aware that other people might be playing with it mm. and, and be a little less sensitive about, about that IP. No, that's great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, time has come towards the end. Let's give all these guys a massive round of applause.